This is Debbie, and welcome to another brand new episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to live their best life and become location independent. I am so psyched to share with you this week's episode with my incredible guest, Taraja Morrell, who is a travel food writer. Growing up, Taraja was surrounded by the most amazing food and a dad who was a wine connoisseur. Her career path to becoming a travel food writer seemed inevitable, but it wasn't until she was in her 30s when Taraja finally realized that being a travel food writer was her purpose. On this episode, Taraja discusses how she's able to create a location-independent lifestyle as a travel food writer, her struggles as an actor, how to deal with personal loss, and finally believing that she deserves personal success by following her passion. Today, Taraja is a consultant and a freelance travel food writer for the Wall Street Journal magazine, Refinery29, Condonist Traveler, Food and Wine magazine, as well as a partner of the incredible restaurant Meta in New York City. Taraja for having me in your lovely home. This is beautiful and gorgeous. Can you tell me the gap of your story and why you live an offbeat life? Um, well, thank you for <laughs> chatting with me. I'm so happy to talk to you. Um, I feel like I've always lived a little bit of an offbeat life. Even when I was a kid, I was a dreamer and was very much living in, in sort of my imagination as much as I was living in the world. And um, I think that the more I tried to fit in to what is theoretically the norm, a job that at which you sit at the same desk every day and you have health insurance, et cetera, et cetera, the less I felt like an authentic expression of, of myself. And I felt that I was doing myself a disservice and not using parts of myself that were just gifts and that they needed to be used in order for me to feel good about myself. And so... I've done many things and I've changed tax several times in major ways and I've just realized that I am not meant to stick in one lane and I prefer to be able to to swerve ideally with thought and uh, awareness but I like to have options and I like to use the things that I love and consider in different forms. Can you Tell, tell me what kind of different things that you ventured on before you got to where you are today. I was an actor in my 20s. Um, I started acting when I was about 20, 21. And I really pursued it very seriously. Um, I was in you know class the entire time and studying and uh, was in a really wonderful play at the very beginning of, I think, 2003 with Sigourney Weaver and John Lithgow. And it was a great beginning to what was ultimately not such a great career, in quotes, um, if that's what you can call, you know, struggling and auditioning and kind of trying to find success in a, in a way that is very elusive. Uh, eventually, I realized that that life was not for me and I wanted to be a little bit more in control of my destiny than I felt as an actor. And I experienced a, a very intense personal tragedy. I lost someone extremely dear to me. And um, 
kind of had a year in which I was doing something totally anonymous and um, didn't necessarily know where it was going to take me, if anywhere, and didn't know what I was going to do next and felt, you know, terrible about myself um, and had no idea what my place in the world was and also felt quite concerned about, you know, the world in general and, and was grieving. And then when I was 31, something in me kind of said, like, turn back to food. And I grew up in the food and wine world in this very space. It had never occurred to me to make it my professional life. I really wanted to pivot away from that. But I had this instinct at the same time that there would be some something soul sustaining in returning to the f- to food in some capacity and uh, so I had never gone to acting school per se I'd always been in classes but I always felt a bit insecure compared to my friends who had gone to acting school so I I thought okay if I'm going to turn toward food I'm going to go to school I'm going to learn how to do this I'm going to really get serious and feel like I have an arsenal of information and skills that I can apply to whatever this becomes I don't know what it's going to become so I decided to go to cooking school or at least take a four-month class um, intensive and see if I wanted to then continue that on to I think gosh I think it was a year program it might have been even longer so I took a four-month class at the French Culinary Institute and was so inspired by just the process of learning and working with my hands and learning the mother sauces and how to you know fillet a fish or uh, break down you know a bird or whatever that I just started writing about it. And I had always written for myself, no matter what I was doing in my professional life or while I was in school, I, I was one of those total nerds who enjoyed writing term papers and like even would do it for friends because I enjoyed it. I mean, really pathetic. So yeah, I started writing about food and I started to feel like food was this expression of love and it could really be a lens through which I could talk about many other things pertaining to uh, life and togetherness and celebration and and also sadness and 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 healing and I started this little blog called the Lovage which was very earnest and I think still is but become more like my website and that was really that was really it I just started writing for myself and then I was super lucky and I got a couple opportunities to write professionally in my first interview was for Nowness and it was with Joelle Robuchon, you know, who's like a world-class chef. And I probably asked him 900 questions and he was so patient and it was, and plus it was sort of half in French and half in English. So, so yeah. So then, you know, I decided I wanted to be writing professionally about food, but I also had this sort of hangover from having been a struggling actor where I didn't think that I could make a living doing what I loved. And so I didn't. So I kept working in restaurants and waitressing and managing in a friend's restaurant and then was so sick of of that that eventually I uh, accepted a job really at a lovely um, public relations firm that um, works with chefs and restaurants here in New York. And it was a phenomenal job, but it was sort of just one degree off. Like I was like getting stories ready for other writers. And I just like, and I was working with amazing chefs, but like it just, it was such a great opportunity and everyone that I worked with was so amazing and yet I just didn't feel quite aligned with it and um kind of went through a personal drama around that time as well and was just desperate for change and desperate to do what I most wanted to do and so I wound up getting this opportunity to work in a a restaurant on the beach in Uruguay and sort of bizarre old old friends fiance ran the restaurant he said come do this and I sort of said you know or no he said come visit 
and I said, I can't come on holiday. Like I can't afford it. And it's so far. And I had all these reasons why not. And he said, just come, just come. And I said, I can't, I can't. And he said, um, and I said, you know what, if you offer me a job, mm-hmm. I'll come, yeah. I'll quit my job and I'll yeah. come. Mm-hmm. And he said, done, you're hired. All I do is look for seasonal employee em- employees, you know, yeah. come down. And I had all of these sort of quid pro quos. And th- I don't want to talk to anyone. I just want to <laughs> be in the kitchen with my head down, you know, like peeling potatoes. And he said, okay, okay. And then anyway, he wound up saying, no, you're not coming to the most beautiful place on earth and staying under fluorescent lights and peeling potatoes. You're going to work out at this bar down by the ocean and you're going to have the sun on your face and you're going to feel alive again. And he and his wife, they really gave me a new lease on life. But I just really went there to try to stop having fear. It's, It's really interesting that you say that because a lot of us, we stop ourselves from doing what it is that we really love to do because of fear. Now, I know you mentioned that that's happened to you a few times. That's why you stayed at certain careers or jobs, because you were fearful to do other things. You stayed at the restaurants instead of writing about it and doing that part of it that you really loved because of fear and doubt of, of your own abilities. How do you take yourself out of of that feeling of fear and doubt of yourself and knowing what's going to happen to finally stepping out and actually doing what you want to do? I would I would like to believe that we all have a certain saturation point where it becomes something we simply can't ignore anymore. And I had gone so far past that. I mean, I was in sort of a perpetual state of agitas and duress and anxiety and I needed to change everything about my perspective. I didn't have enough faith in myself to make a good decision, to choose the right partner, to do what I wanted to be doing, to believe that I could do what I wanted to be doing. I didn't even think that I deserved to get what I want. I still struggle with that. But ultimately, I just ha- I just had to change. There was nowhere else. There was nothing else. There was no way I could keep going on the tack that I was on. It wasn't, there was no future with that. And I, I think also I was, I was wasting my life being dissatisfied. And it's, it was time to, to completely turn everything upside down, which is ironic because I actually went to another hemisphere and like literally turned upside down and, yeah. you know, was in an atmosphere in which I had was so far out of my comfort zone you know, didn't speak the language didn't I don't I, I was down there making ceviche I mean I'm not a chef I love food I'm, I'm okay my life skills are okay but they're not I'm not a professional and and uh you know it was really it was a trip quite literally and figuratively um but it in doing something that was so ridiculous on paper um for so many reasons and ironic in many ways somehow I trained myself to not be fearful. If I could kind of get through that, I could kind of get through anything. And I also knew I needed nature to heal. And then just trying to carry that sort of energy, that intrepidness with me into life, you know, coming back to New York, which is my hometown. So in some ways I feel like I get to move through it quite easily, but in other ways, you know, uh, there's also so much baggage. There's so, there's so many patterns that are easy to get snagged on. It's really great when you're taken out of your comfort zone and even the environment right because we we've talked about this a little bit before how you you live in New York City you live in a place like this where it's so busy and you tend to forget a lot about yourself and taking care of yourself and then you go somewhere where it's slower and you can actually smell everything around you it's it's nice and fresh (laughs) 
and you can actually enjoy the sun on on you and you get to really relax and enjoy everything that's around you instead of just rushing through everything. So let's go back and talk about your relationship with food because you mentioned a little bit about your parents having that relationship. What was that like and how did it go from you kind of fighting that and then finally giving way to, to that passion as well for it? I mean, growing up, everything was about meals. My little bedroom that, you know, they made out of a closet for me was off the kitchen. And, you know, I would wake up hearing my mom unloading the dishwasher and, you know, the night before his dinner, kind of beginning the next day again. And my mother is a phenomenal home cook and self-taught. And, uh, you know, my dad would call home um, usually around like, I don't know, late afternoon, early evening, and, and ask my mom, what's for dinner? <laughs> and then she would tell him, and because he was had a wine shop, he would make sure that if he didn't think he had the right wine to go with what she was making here at home, he would bring it home with him from the wine shop. And, and it was really just the place that um, my parents expressed love for life, for each other, for me, for, you know, gathering, um, for the food on the table, and... Um, I don't know. It just it was our lang- it was our family language, I guess. And I didn't even it just never occurred to me to go towards that in in any kind of professional way. My father um, is a gifted um, wine to call him an aficionado is not even right. He was in the uh, wine business for my God, I think it's <laughs> a terrifying number, like sixty years. Yeah. So uh, and and followed in the footsteps of his parents who had started a a small wine business in the 1940s and he took it over in the late 60s and really turned it into something very, very special and renowned. But um, he, as much as he was passionate about wine, he also dissuaded me from going into the business because when you own your own business, especially in a city like New York, um, you are pushing paper, you're behind a desk, you're, you're paying, you're doing payroll, you know, you're making sure that your staff is taken care of and that the bills are paid and the lights are staying on and, and you're not necessarily doing the thing that you most love. And that was very clear to him and to me. And, and so I just, I, he just sort of said, I don't want this for you. And it never occurred to me. And also, I mean, my knowledge of wine is so different to my dad's. I mean, obviously it's lesser, but also it's, uh, I don't know. I always say it sort of would be like if your dad is a math genius and you can't do arithmetic, you know, it's like I I just feel like there's such a genius in the room. And it's so it's I've never even thought about trying. It's super intimidating. So I just go with, you know, my palate, which is very good. Um, And, you know, that's enough for me. And, you know, I just try to learn what I can every every time. But when you find something that you really want to do, right, like with this travel, um, writing about food, cooking, and then I know you have your own restaurant, what is the first step that you do when you have that idea and it clicks in your head? What is it that the first thing that you do to actually accomplish that goal? I think it really depends. I mean, I think with becoming a writer, a professional writer, it was something that I, I consciously or unconsciously always wanted for myself but was afraid to reach out for it was it was like that fruit that's like just hanging a little too hard too high above where you can reach you know and I just had a million reasons um about why I couldn't do it and and then you know eventually started to think about well wait a second I mean that person's doing it and (laughs) that person's doing it and well why couldn't I do it what what really what are the reasons and 
you know, I was a bit older and so maybe I couldn't or couldn't or wouldn't maybe do some of the things that like it takes to climb the ranks from, you know, graduating college and wanting to become a writer. I just didn't feel like I had that time. I was already in my thirties and I just, I don't know. I just, I got, it's a bit of luck. It's a bit of being in the right place at the right time and seeing an opportunity to write a story. And then like, honestly, it was like sticking my neck out and like waving my hands and being like, I'm going to do this. Like, give me this opportunity. And I got extremely lucky and got to write a, you know, a story for, um, uh, WSJ magazine. And, and that was like, you know, that made people take me seriously, which is crazy that one experience can do that. But, um, it really helped in terms of other things that have happened. I have to tell you, I, I, I don't, I don't know that there's rhyme or reason to it. It's like more just being open to something special when it comes along. And honestly, I never thought I would be a part of a restaurant in terms of like uh, a partner in a restaurant in New York. I definitely thought someday I would be a restaurateur, but I assumed it would be in another country or in upstate New York. It never occurred to me to do this in New York, but then Meta came along and it was a very special project and there was no question that I was going to say yes to it in whatever capacity I could. So sometimes it's just about being open and letting things come to you and that's a really magical feeling like when you're finally operating in, in kind of a level of openness and trust that the universe is going to provide a little bit. It's amazing what happens when you finally go for what you want, right? And you've done a lot of different things before, and then finally you kind of realize that writing and food is really what you wanted to do, and taking that first step led you here, writing for these incredible magazines, owning your own restaurant. It's pretty amazing what will happen when you just take that first step that, that you did, which is amazing for most of us because, like we've talked about before, we're so afraid to take that first step. And I think, too, once you take that first step, sometimes while you're in that moment, you feel like an imposter, like that imposter syndrome. <laughs> totally. I feel like an imposter right now having this conversation, but it also feels authentic, so it's okay. Yeah. It's true. And then you never feel like you're doing it correctly or the right way because there's always somebody who's done it before and then you're comparing yourself and then you, you know, you really have to remind yourself that you have your own way of doing it and whatever it is that you're doing is the right way for you, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel so confused 90% of the time about how to go about being a freelance writer and I literally feel like I have to work you know twice as hard and and every story I mean to be clear writing is such a for me personally I deeply love it um I writing a story is like a puzzle and it's like weaving together a narrative it makes me so happy I feel so satisfied by it but <laughs> it's pretty challenging to make a living that way. That's not really how I make a living. I keep it super sacred and I don't um, expect to live off of being a writer, but therefore I only tell the stories that I most want to tell. And I, you know, I hope that I continue to have the opportunity to do that and to do it better and to keep like getting better at it. I just feel like I'm willing to work kind of twice as hard to get us to push a story through. Um, whether that means like producing a, an entertainment, story by like literally wearing every hat that normally that 
in another time there would have been editors that were able to fly down and organize a shoot and do all of this stuff and the magazines don't have the budgets for that anymore and I just feel like it behooves me to be extremely scrappy mm-hmm. and um, for all of the things that I've done over the years even the things that drove me the most bonkers most of which were being a waitress mm-hmm. um, I'm so grateful for that it has made me so much better at being a writer who writes about food stories and um, and just so much more, I think, sensitive to the whole process and mm-hmm. and how essential every person is in mm-hmm. in that in that chain that gets mm-hmm. the food from like the farm to the table. You know, mm-hmm. it's great that you say that because we end up doing things that we really don't want to do, right? Before whatever it is that we find our passion and our purpose. But I've always thought that there's always a reason for everything, right? And it always has a purpose in our life, right? So like you're saying right now, being a waitress helped you to not really appreciate what you're doing with food and how it's come from farm to table. And you have the perspective of someone serving it. You have the perspective of someone who's cooking it and someone who's taking the plant and the animals. And you just did um, a piece recently with hunting for, for food. So you've done all of these different things that don't realize at that moment, but will give you that little piece of the puzzle that you may be missing later on. And then you look back at your experiences and and think to yourself, oh my gosh, yeah, (laughs) this had a purpose and this is why I did this. And yet, you know, there's still so many situations, publications in which I literally would feel like such an imposter even submitting work to. I just, I feel like there are some literary publications that are just so notoriously excellent and erudite and I I would feel completely you know less than worthy uh and it's you know and there's always I mean gosh you know it's like I want to when I grow up I want to write stories like Howie Kahn that are like you know expansive and 3,000 words and like it doesn't get to happen yet so much but at least I'm I'm sorry, I'm trying not to curse. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, but at least I'm just still so grateful because yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I truly love it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's also, I, I also am very clear about not entangling myself with certain um, elements of being in the publishing world that I don't think would agree with me at this point in life. It's good that you you have that and you know that about yourself and what you are willing to do and what you're not willing to do. And you talked about doing it because you love it and not just for money and that's not your sole, main sole purpose of doing it. I know a lot of things have, have been happening with the whole industry itself. So many things are, are changing, like publishing online now. We used to be going on the newsstand and getting our magazines and get it that way and now it's all online pretty much so what has been the biggest change and challenge in that aspect for you has there been anything that's just kind of changed your whole way of of working in that sense and as a writer I think that even with the rise of online which obviously is indisputable I think at the same time there will always be a place for print um you know I'm sorry for those trees that 
<laughs> are cut down. But um, but there is something to be said for you know t- the tangible, um, potentially uh, worth keeping and holding on to, uh, magazine or newspaper or book. But I also think that there's you have to be savvy of when it's impossible to do that. Is there another way to have an impact? I mean, you know. Would I write a story for online if, it, if I got to scoop something that nobody else would do it, but there wasn't time to get it into print? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. That would be smart. You just have to be strategic. I mean, I mean, at least I feel like I have to be really strategic. And obviously, I mean, at this point, I try to write in print mostly, but then there's great opportunities to do fun things online. And yeah, yeah I'm lucky to have an opportunity like that. Especially now with with food and travel being so popular, what would you advise someone who wants to get into this business of writing, um, whether it's food or travel, what should be their first step or an advice that you could give them that you wish you would have known when you first started? I think it's, you know, it's the old adage, a writer writes, you know, um, a chef cooks. A traveler travels. You just have to do it. Um, even if you do start to do it only for yourself and nobody's paying attention. I mean, I honestly, I don't believe that anyone ever reads my blog, and I'm actually quite relieved about that for the most part. Um, I never have ever looked at the numbers because it's just the idea of doing it to 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 see how many clicks um, a blog post of mine was going to get. It's it's completely beside the point. It was an exercise in uh, being responsible to myself, to something I enjoyed, um, to creating a small body of work that was at the time, you know, it's kind of like rinky dinky and super romantic. And yet it did get me opportunities for all of its earnestness and, you know, maybe over the top kind of romance. But um, so I think it's, it's, it's like anything, like roll up your sleeves. Get your hands dirty and be willing, again, be strategic, be willing to do things that you might not get paid from, but will create beautiful work. I mean, that, you know, I I had the privilege of writing some really incredible food stories for Gray Magazine, which before, you know, I did that, had no food content whatsoever. And they gave me carte blanche to write the stories I wanted to write. And I worked hard to make them, I think, you know, well-written, nice pieces. And um, I got some really great subject I think for that and I didn't get a cent but I got my stories in print and they were beautiful and that created opportunities so you know it's always about just weighing um the impact and and also the how much is going to enrich you those experiences of telling those stories and thinking like an editor and thinking like a writer made me feel like a writer so then I was a writer you know And you got all of that experience from from that, from doing the things that didn't give you the money but gave you the experience and gave you the artistic freedom that you really needed, especially in the beginning, and what you can show people what you can really do, which is incredible. So all of the things that you've done so far, you've been an actress, you are a writer, and you do so many things. What has been the biggest setback that you've encountered, or whether with acting, being an actor, or a writer, that kind of took you back? And how do you come up from that? How did you get yourself out of that setback? For me, the ongoing setbacks are, you know, self-doubt always uh questioning things to the point of questioning everything questioning myself questioning how much you know I deserve to be successful or I deserve to be happy 
a lot of existential questions. I think my those are my stumbling blocks always are are you know being overly analytical, um, not seeing the glass half full. Mm-hmm. That is my Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. Always has been. But I think it's like it's an everyday slog, you know. I, I had last night three of my oldest friends who I rarely see over for dinner. We've known each other since we were five years old. And on paper, we all look like we have the perfect lives. And let me tell you, every single one of them has dealt with a massive challenge or is dealing with one. And um, I think, you know, things are just not always what they seem. We have to all keep that in mind in every single thing that we do and every experience and interaction we have with the people around us, uh, how much we can affect, our energy can affect. You're so right, because especially with social media, right? (laughs) With social media, we look at people's lives. We look at your life. I mean, I'm looking at your apartment here right now. I'm like, oh my gosh, she has this incredible life. And people look at everyone else's life and we think it's perfect. But we also have to remember that there's always something behind it. There's always something behind closed doors that we don't know that they could be dealing with so much more worse stuff than than we are. I always think about this all the time. It's like th- sometimes like it just happens where your career is great and then your personal life isn't. And then it's always hard to find that balance between the two, whether your personal life and your career-wise to, to balance them both, especially as a woman who wants to have all of these things for yourself and then you want to have um, a family life and also a really great career. I don't know about passing me the mic on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that Instagram is just so insipid and I am 100%, uh, you know, completely guilty of playing a part of its insipidness and also being a, a glutton to its punishments. Um, it is so addictive and it is it is such a such a layer it is such a slice of life it is such a I mean I don't know I personally I try to project you know a very positive presence in social media but at the same time you know it 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 is a perfect example of you just don't know what's going on with anyone else at at any at any given time that's that's right (laughs) so let's try not to compare ourselves to anyone else on social media and focus on our own thing (laughs) If you can go back to the beginning that you have learned now that you wish you would have learned um, when you first began. I don't really think, I mean, it's like, it's still hard for me to even say like my writing career, like it's only been two and a half years that I've got been like doing what I enjoy. So it doesn't even feel like one can call <laughs> two and a half years a career. But, um, but I think, you know, it's more life advice. And it's just like, get out of your own fucking way, you know, like stop regurgitating the narrative that you can't do something because then you won't be able to. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, you know, I just feel like I have spent so much time making excuses for why I couldn't do certain things. And they were my excuses. And and, um, I just think that if everyone is the most authentic that they can be, that they probably will be doing things that they enjoy or things that they would enjoy will come to them. Mm-hmm. I also think we're trying to live up to others people, other people's expectations that 
we end up stopping ourselves from doing what we love because we're comparing ourselves like we had talked about before too much um, about what other people have already done. But then we also forget that this is the things that they've done, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten years already. And we can't compare our beginning to somebody's middle. So what is the worst advice that you have ever received from someone? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, one of the first life lessons that I was taught was a a very often repeated phrase by my father. And I think it it had a massively negative effect on, on my outlook and it would be him telling me you know nothing's easy Taraja nothing's easy now of course that's true um it does take hard hard work to do things but there was this implication that you know you would sort of be thwarted at every turn that it it would that the world was out to get to get you and I think that's actually not the case and I think that that kind of instilled in me like a, a sort of fearful um outlook from the get-go in which I was afraid of failure but also afraid of my own potential and I think that's a massive thing especially for for young people I think you know not wanting to figure out where the ceiling is because heaven forbid you should know and and then not just be able to kind of pretend that you don't you could do anything so I think anything that's disempowering like nothing's easy or fear instilling is is essentially bad advice I mean of course of course life is so challenging Mm -hmm. in you know every single way and and it's so overwhelming and um it just is a maelstrom of confusing (laughs) messages and um you know the more data and and diagnostics there are in terms of health the more terrifying it is to do anything and kind of getting lost in that in that cycle of kind of that it's like a paralysis, right? It's like it be, you get to a point where you can't do anything. And I think that the paralysis is, is, is the worst state. Once you're in that, in that paralyzed state, it's like you can't, it's hard to get out of it. And if it is instilled in you for so long, you know, nothing is easy. Of course, nothing is easy. But we also have to look at the bright side. Like you said, no, not everybody is out to get you. And, you know, we met at a, at a party and I just came up to you and I was like, oh, my gosh, you're beautiful. And then you just had this really unique style. And then I told you about my podcast and then you were just so open to it. And I feel like, honestly, 90 percent of people that you meet, if you just are genuine with them, they'll give you that positivity back. And we shouldn't be afraid to ask for help or ask questions because normally people are genuinely very helpful for the most part not everybody of course but for the most part people are like that and I'm sure you you feel like that with the people that you've worked with I actually find it much easier to give help than I find it to receive it (laughs) I find it really really hard to ask for help yeah I think that's part of my I mean I think it's something I really need to work on I'm such a um like a solo operator in terms of okay I figured this out I'm gonna do this I'm gonna figure it out how to do it by myself if I have to break my back moving the table I will do it I will break my back but I will move that table you know and I think I would like my dream in life is like a mentor like somebody who I could bounce stuff off of you know some kind of guidance support I can't even fathom what that would feel like like it's like it's like a 
you know, some people want a massage. I'm like, no, 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 I want a massage. I want a mentor. Like, can somebody please tell me you know, how I can do better? Um, but yeah, no, I think, um, I do think that people are generally willing to help. And I, I feel ridiculous about the idea that, you know, I could ever help people with much. But I do think that, like, the authenticity thing and just encouraging people to take risks and, and start following a path that feels right to them is it's so important. Someone, someone like you, where you definitely took a different path that's not really normal. Being an actor is, is not usually what, what most people, I mean, I've, in New York, you're going to meet. Struggling actor, struggling, <laughs> more normal struggles. <laughs> yeah, but as, as, this, as this struggling actor, as any actor, you are faced with so many rejection. I mean, who wants to go into that willingly? But you did, and a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people do in in New York. And then for you to become a writer and doing food and and travel, and it's, it's pretty incredible what you've done for yourself. And you're very independent as well. So <laughs> I am that. That is a nice way of putting what I am. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's obviously a lot of like little chapters in between the acting um, and you know being a writer, but mm-hmm. ultimately, I think <laughs> the irony is that often doing the things that aren't a good fit mm-hmm. can be really good as springboards to doing the things that are. Um, and sometimes you kind of have to, as I said before, like hit that saturation point where you're like, okay, there is literally no way forward, so I need to pivot. Yeah. It was so clear to me that I was not meant to be an actor. But I'm stubborn, so I mm-hmm. I worked at it for a long time. Yeah. No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> You're like, no, I should have I should have left when <laughs> where sooner, and you could have been a writer a lot sooner. <laughs> no, that's so funny. So, doing all of this stuff and and writing especially when you're just starting out and even acting or whatever it is, anything that you're starting out with, you don't normally make a lot of money, right? Like your finances, you're just struggling. So how are you able to continue with your career today? And how did you start? How were you able to finance your lifestyle? And how were you able to finance yourself when you were still struggling to be a writer? That is like a question that remains to be answered and that I may not have the answer to. Um, but as I said, you know, I, I keep my writing jobs um, pretty sacred and just do the ones that I really am passionate about. Um, and I make most of my living doing other things as a consultant. Um, and that can look like very different things depending on the project. A year and a half ago, um, that meant consulting on a restaurant project in a new independent cinema on in the Lower East Side called Metrograph and helping to kind of um, create a restaurant that was the parallel to the theater itself and right now I'm consulting on an incredible um, vodka brand that's called um, Zerkova One Together and you know never in a million years would I have thought that I would be working on vodka but what is so interesting about it is that if you are open to kind of considering something even if it's a little bit seems like it's not quite the right fit I am learning so much because we are building um, social justice and activism into the brand. Mm-hmm. And so that to me is fascinating. Yeah. A brand that, you know, has a backbone that is intended to help people who need help, who need support, who need um, to feel like they have a community. That makes it a project that I'm aligned with, in addition to it being an excellent product. 
so yeah, I mean, I, the answer is I'm really, really scrappy and I'm exhausted a lot and, um, I don't sleep very well. And, you know, I'm always at my last normal job, my, one of my bosses said to me when she realized that I wanted to be writing all the time and she was like, you're going to need to hustle. And it's true. I mean, it's a hustle. It's a full on hustle. It's like being open and talking to lots of people. And it's so, so much about relationships and, you know, they're, they can be elusive and it's about longevity and I don't have that. And it's about, you know, proof of, of, of work and I'm trying to create that. And yeah, it's, 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 it's like literally juggling, but it does, it does keep me alert to Mm -hmm. switch tacks so many times, times a day doing something for the restaurant, doing something for the vodka brand, like writing a pitch for a story I'm dying to write, mm-hmm. writing a pitch for the restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's they all feed each other in some weird way. So many people th- talk about passion, right? Like, find your passion, follow that. But what does that really mean? What does that mean to find it? And I'm really curious about what you think of that. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean to find your passion? I just enjoy it so much. And I think it's a privilege to to wait for the stories or the opportunities that um, are going to be the most satisfying and kind of have faith that while I'm, you know, doing my other jobs and paying my rent, that's okay, that's okay. Something still will come knocking on the door and I'll have a, a chance. And, and, you know, that happened recently where a chef that James Lowe, the chef at Lyle's and chef and owner of Lyle's in London, who I admire his food so much and you know a a month ago he was like do you want to come on this trip and 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 just I sort of had that moment where I kind of like had to like step away from my computer I'm like "Ah!" (laughs) you know I was just like oh my god how could this be happening and it was such an extraordinary and immersive trip so I think that feeling, that feeling where you feel like a child and you want to like jump up and down because you have the opportunity to do what you what you want to do. That's it. I mean, what what <laughs> what better proof is there when you become literally giddy? It's actually a really great analogy, but it's like when you feel giddy like a little kid again, that's when you know you you're following the right thing, the right path for yourself. That's really true. <laughs> Right. Because when when you feel so happy that it just becomes so contagious and people can see it and not even that, like you can feel yourself change your whole mood, your whole body. You don't want to do anything else or you're doing something that you enjoy. And then you when you find your passion, it's like everything else becomes like second to that. And that's just what you're meant to do. And that's what your passion is, what you wake up every morning to do yeah and I think it's also when you have that feeling it's like you won't take no for an answer I know I'm doing this I know I'm writing this story it's just about everyone else getting on board because I'm doing it it's it's occurring um and you know and it is as you said it's completely contagious and some you know I put myself in some pretty weird situations in the name of like telling a story and you know have probably you know wasted a fair amount of money in, in 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 looking for or putting myself, you know, traveling, thinking there might be a story there or traveling and knowing I'll find something. And then sure enough, you know, finding something that manifests as a story months or whatever later. I think the hard part is having the guts to do it just that first at the beginning and having the guts to ask. And like right now, I mean, 
even this week I saw an opportunity to write something that maybe another writer might not be able to have the opportunity to write it and then like has spent stayed up all night like convincing myself you can do this 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 and then you know like tried to convince the subject matter that I could do this <laughs> and I should do this and I'm not sure if he's so convinced but you know it remains to be seen but so I mean it doesn't always work but that's okay so what are you working on right now that is really exciting to you um well I mean I'm really excited about the story that um, is going to come out of this last trip to the UK, which was, you know, going to Scotland with uh, James Lowe and five other international chefs um, while they were shooting and creating two nights of dinners from the what they shot. So I'm really excited about that story, which is in the works. And, um, and then I have another longer format project that um, I'm excited about too. Um, but, you know, it's one of the really like hilarious and frustrating things about being freelance is you just kind of don't know when something's going to pop. So there's, there's really, and they uh, almost without fail, you know, you, you work on things over a year kind of laying gr groundwork for things and then everything pops at the same time and you're kind of completely overwhelmed and losing your mind. And that just seems to be the nature of the beast and like the way energy works. If our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you social media wise, your website, things that you've written? Um, well, my sort of uh, online alter ego and my um, social media is The Lovage, T-H-E-L-O-V-A-G-E, -E, um, which is an herb, practically a weed, but a really nice one. And my blog is thelovage.com. It's really become a website where I post my work for other publications and occasionally slide in a little blog post as well. Thank you so much, Taraja. I had such a great time talking to you, and I am so happy to be in this beautiful home that you have. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for chatting. I'm so honored. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad you like this cookie spot. I know, it's very unique, right? It's amazing. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Taraja. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get killer resources and so much more. Love a good audiobook as much as I do? Of course you do. Well, you're in luck because I have teamed up with audible.com to give you a 30-day trial for free. Make sure to visit offbeatbook.com. Again, that's offbeatbook.com to get that incredible trial.